I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy our show. This story was first published on January 2nd of 2011 under the headline, Wonder Dogs 2500 Mile Odyssey Puts Silverton on the Map. Here we go. The town of Silverton, nestled at the edge of the foothills of the Cascades east of Salem, has been home to some notably famous personalities, including muckraking columnist Homer Davenport and movie star Clark Gable. But this town's most famous scion is probably a dog, a dog named Bobby. Bobby was a young Scotch collie mix who lived with the family of Frank and Elizabeth Brazier, owners of a popular Silverton restaurant called the Rio Café. In the summer of 1923, Frank and Elizabeth packed up their Overland Red Bird touring car and headed east for a visit to Indiana. And of course, Bobby came with them, perched proudly atop the pile of luggage in the back seat or else sometimes riding jauntily on a running board. They were almost to their destination when it happened. Frank was gassing up the Red Bird when a pack of local mongrels jumped Bobby. The last Frank saw of Bobby that day, he was running for his life with three snarling dogs in hot pursuit. Well, at the time, Frank wasn't worried. Bobby, he thought, could take care of himself. He'd be waiting back at the house where the braziers were staying. But he wasn't. The braziers started searching. They called around town. They advertised in the local newspaper. They did some driving around. Still, no Bobby. So, leaving instructions to hang on to him if he reappeared, they continued on their trip. They'd pick him up on the way back home, they figured. They figured wrong. Bobby still wasn't around when they returned. So regretfully, the braziers continued on their way, leaving instructions to send him home on a rail car at their expense should he turn up, hoping for the best but fearing the worst. Exactly six months later, one of Elizabeth Brazier's daughters from a previous marriage, Nova Baumgarten, was walking down a Silverton street with a friend when she suddenly seized the other girl's arm. Oh, look, isn't that Bobby, she said, or words to that effect. Sure enough, it was Bobby. Sore of foot, matted of coat, his toenails worn down to nothing. Bobby had logged more than 2,500 miles, probably well over 3,000, swimming rivers, crossing the continental divide in the dead of winter to get back home to Silverton. Nova brought Bobby to the Rio for a joyful reunion with her mother and stepfather and a luxurious meal of sirloin steak and whipping cream. The place was packed with mill workers, possibly including Clark Gable, who had not yet been quote-unquote discovered and was working a shift at a Silverton sawmill at the time. So it was a matter of minutes before word of Bobby's amazing journey was on everyone's lips all over town. Within a week, the story was making national headlines. Friendly people with whom Bobby had stayed for a night or two on his journey wrote in to tell their stories. Putting all of this together, the Humane Society of Portland was able to piece together a surprisingly precise account of the route Bobby took. After coming back to Wolcott and finding the braziers gone, Bobby first followed them northeast, farther into Indiana. Then he started striking out on what must have been exploratory journeys in various directions, perhaps trying to pick up a familiar scent to give him a sense of the direction to take. 
Eventually, he found what he was looking for and struck out for the West Coast. On their trip, the braziers had left their car in service stations each night. Bobby visited each of these on the way, along with a number of private homes. He also spent some time in a hobo camp. In Portland, he stayed for some time with an Irish woman who nursed him back to health after some sort of accident left his legs and paws all gashed up. As a side note, this injury is probably the source of the allegation that Bobby's paws were, quote, worn down to the bone on his return, a physiologically impossible claim not made in any of the 1924 newspaper articles that I found, but prominent in most modern accounts. About two months later, Bobby was back in Silverton. After the joyful return, the collie's life got a lot more exciting. The Humane Society gave him a medal in a somber ceremony in Portland. Silverton gave him the key to the city along with special permission to walk its streets free from fear of the municipal dog catcher. Correspondents poured in addressed to Bobby the Wonder Dog. He was honored as the star of the Home Beautifying Exposition in Portland just a few months after his return and a miniature bungalow was built to serve as his doghouse. Alas, Bobby had not much time to enjoy these perks. He died in 1927 after getting sick. Doctors suggested, or veterinarians I should say, suggested that it was the strain of his journey catching up with him. He was buried at the Humane Society's Pet Cemetery in Portland, and Rin Tin Tin, the first movie star dog of that name, was actually coached to place a wreath on his grave. Key sources in this story included works by Ralph Friedman, Judith Kent, Susan Stellius, and the archives of the Silverton Appeal Tribune in Portland Morning Oregonian. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 550 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulplet Productions, pulp-lit.com, a boutique publishing house owned and operated by yours truly specializing in audiobook and multimedia editions of the work of the classic pre-war pulp writers. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license type CC by SA 4.0, which basically means you can do anything with the content you like, so long as you A, give me credit for it, and B, whatever you make is also released under a Creative Commons license. But if you need a waiver to either A or B, hit me up, fj at offbeatoregon.com. I've never said no yet to a request for a waiver of one of those conditions. They're generally there just to prevent me from accidentally authorizing the reuse of something I don't actually control the rights to. A good example might be a photograph used by special permission of the rights holder. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every single weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.